This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Israeli-born but based in Hungary, conductor Daniel Boyko has been described by critics as dynamic, vigorous, exciting and imaginative, an undisputed star who combines magnetic charisma with a skilled technique. He will be in South Africa later this month as the guest of the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra, World Symphony Series Spring Season. He joins me now to tell me about his life as a conductor. Daniel, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on the show. You are newly appointed music director and chief conductor at, of the Budapest Symphony Orchestra. Um, but you began your musical career as a singer. What was your journey as a musician becoming a conductor? Well, um, you know, uh, the, the usual way that I tell the story is that I, you know, I was born to a musical family. My father is a violinist, my mother is a pianist, and my father um, was um, a principal second violin of the Israel Philharmonic for 12 years, and I was born there in Israel. And then we moved to France, where he was concertmaster of the Paris Orchestra. And then we moved to the States uh, when I was a teenager, so he could join the Fine Arts Quartet, that, uh, of which he's still a member. So I grew up in this environment of uh, constant music and uh, classical music, of course, um, surrounded by it. I, I saw so many orchestral concerts and chamber music concerts. Um, and in the end, somehow, uh, even though I studied the piano ever since I was six or so, um, and even a short uh, bout with the violin, I was never really interested in becoming a classical musician. I was interested in all kinds of other music, and um, uh, and I was just not uh, very much attracted uh, to become a professional musician per se. Which, uh, for a uh, former Soviet Union Russian-speaking musician family, was very strange because usually the the children also go into music professionally. But I sort of uh, stayed away, and it wasn't until I was, I think, 17 years old that I was interested in singing because I joined a choir just by chance, and I loved it. And once again, I was surrounded by music at close range, and um, because I had the background, it all felt kind of uh, easy for me and uh, approachable, uh, and I just completely fell in love. The, the the idea of actually producing music, whether with an instrument or a voice, was very appealing. And I just started singing. And in about maybe a year, I decided to start taking a private lesson as a singer. And uh, eventually I became an operatic singer. Uh, but that didn't last long because uh, while I was studying singing, I had friends who played in the student um, orchestra at the university, and I would go and see their rehearsals many times, and I very much enjoyed the sound and was kind of amazed by the types of sounds that I heard, that the infinite amount of combinations of instruments that produce all kinds of different emotions and atmospheres through sound, and I thought I needed to try that. And that's where the journey towards conducting started. I started taking private lessons with conducting and um, started doing more and more of that. I did some uh, 
public performances, and then decided that I should study it more seriously. And um, I uh, went to St. Petersburg, Russia, to study with the great uh, uh, Russian-Jewish uh, pedagogue, Ilya Musin, who taught in the same classroom for 65 years. When I showed up uh, to his class, he was already 89 years old, and um, he lived until the age of 95, and he was a great, great thinker and teacher and conductor. Um, uh, he taught the likes of uh, Yuri Tenekanov and Semyon Pichkov and um, Vasily Sinaisky and even Yanson uh, at some point and many, 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 many others. And I was just so lucky and privileged to uh, have had the chance to study with him, which completely changed my life. Daniel, you, you've lived around the world. I mean, in a way, it's not ironic, but um, fitting maybe that you went back to Russia where your family originally came from. And you've, you've conducted here in South Africa before. You've lived in Paris and America. Is music music universally, or are there certain areas and certain places where music is somehow different? I, you know, I think music is definitely universal in the way that it transcends any kind of boundary, any kind of race, any kind of um, anything, really, culture. Uh, music can be enjoyed by people regardless of their background and regardless of the genre, I always say. You know, music is music, and classical music is just one of the types of many kinds of music, but still can be enjoyed by anyone from any kind of background. What you do see as a difference is, um, I suppose, the uh, saturation of classical music in certain cultures. Uh, here in Budapest, for instance, you see culture uh, on a very high saturation level. And by that I mean you open a program for the month of October and you will find... 10 different concerts happening every day. Mm -hmm. And that's only in the classical genre. Um, just because they have a long tradition of uh, this kind of music and people enjoy going to see these uh, types of concerts. And the government uh, supports this kind of culture to a high degree with, with a high budget. Um, Budapest, for instance, has something like five or six large orchestras mm -hmm. and a few chamber orchestras as well. And that's just a classical orchestral music scene. Um, so you can see the, the high level of saturation of this kind of music. Uh, in South Africa, for instance, you also have a long tradition of classical music and Western uh, European music Um that that is probably uh, something like uh, a couple hundred years, um, but with a government that's not so interested in preserving those uh, kinds of traditions. So, you know, most of the time, I think in the classical music scene in South Africa, we fight an uphill battle to um, try to prove that. Uh, classical music is relevant to a certain segment of society. It doesn't have to be relevant to absolutely everybody, but to a certain segment of society, it's definitely relevant. But uh, 
so that is the difference that I see with music. The amount of support that it gets in certain areas of the world, um, and uh, but otherwise, as far as enjoying it and being uh, universal, it definitely is. Um, Daniel, please forgive the naivety of my next question, but um, I've often wondered in terms of conductors, obviously you are familiar with all the instruments. Do you have a favorite instrument? Do you, uh, just how, how do you bring it all together? Uh, you know, uh, when I was starting to study conducting, I thought uh, that I should know about the instruments a bit more in detail. And uh, as a student, I would take uh, several months of many instruments. I studied the oboe and the bassoon and the trombone and some string instruments. And I found that to be fascinating uh, because in the end, I will not ever be able to play those instruments because that takes a lifetime worth of uh, uh, effort. Um, but uh, I technically know what it takes for the musicians to produce sounds on those instruments. I'm able to gauge the potential. I, I'm able to gauge the limitations. Um, I'm able to figure out different things in rehearsal that will help me put it all together. Uh, sometimes a person is more tired than another day. Sometimes the read that an oboist will use is not as um, uh, well-functioning as uh, the previous rehearsal. There are all kinds of technical um, hurdles, I guess that instruments can have, uh, but for me to know these kind of hurdles, it's just very helpful. I, 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 I can figure out whether I can just continue with the rehearsal and um, know that things will improve or that I have to stop and fix something because um, it's not going to fix itself uh, because of a technical problem or something like that. So I, I just think you know, um, the knowledge of uh, knowing about the instrument is very, very helpful for conductors. And so you literally and figuratively have to be in tune, not only to the instruments, but also to your orchestra, the members of the orchestra. Are musicians as temperamental as, say, actors and actresses? This is, this is, this is a really good question because, um, you know, an orchestra is a collection of, of uh, uh a certain amount of musicians, let's say between anywhere between 50 and it can go up to 100 and some, and everyone with their personality, individuality, with their psychology, and for a conductor, that can become very difficult because we have to deal with the psychology uh, in real time. As people produce sound, as people um, are a, a, a part of a team, as they listen to their colleagues and to their friends, um, we as conductors, you know, have to uh, somehow put it all together psychologically and and um, make everyone feel that this is actual teamwork, which it is, because conductors, as I always say to musicians in rehearsals, do not make any sound. All the sound comes from the musicians themselves, and conductors can only suggest a certain way of producing it, and that's where the psychology of it comes in, to appeal to every individual in their own way to produce certain sounds in a certain manner 
um, that appeals to the rest of the musicians and to the conductor, to the conductors themselves, is a difficult process, but um, a very, very intriguing one as well. Daniel, you will be conducting um, on Wednesday and Thursday, the 30th and 31st of October. Tell me about the piece that you will be doing. Sure. Uh, we start the program with a very special piece by uh, French composer Saint-Saëns um, that is called Danse Macabre, or um, I suppose you can translate it into English as a Polish dance. Um, it started out as a art song, actually, for voice and piano that was then um, uh, enlarged to become a symphonic poem, as Saint-Saëns calls it, except that um, it's not really just for orchestra. It's for orchestra and violin solo. So it's almost like a mini concerto for solo violin, um, and it just depicts this uh, type of... Uh, Halloweenish midnight um, devil dance, awakening the souls to dance until morning, um, and uh, it just has really beautiful melodies and interesting uh, sounds. Um, there's the use of the xylophone, which is supposed to uh, depict uh, rocking bones and things like that. So uh, it's a piece that. Um, apparently it was not received very well when it was premiered uh, some 150 years ago, um, but has become a staple of the repertoire uh, in the concert hall just because of the beauty and because it uses solo violin, which is usually played by the concert master. So uh, that would be uh, really wonderful to see Neil um, uh, bring this to light uh, with the orchestra. And then uh, we follow that piece with um, the first piano concerto by uh, Chopin, which will be played by Dmitry Shushkin, I believe is the name. I have not met the um, pianist yet, but I hear wonderful things about him, and I think that would be so beautiful. Chopin is also uh, wonderful for the audience just for its... Um, melodic uh, content um, and soulful kind of writing. And then on the second half, we have the exciting piece uh, by Alexander Borodin, which um, is the symphony number two. So probably his uh, most famous orchestral work um, because it is the largest, I think. Uh, although it took him about six years to write because he kept on writing uh, several operas in, in while he was writing this symphony. And also, it took him a while to write this because uh, Borodin was not exactly a professional musician. He was uh, a professor of chemistry and a doctor, and which he um, preferred to call his real profession or his primary profession. And uh, he dealt with music um, on the side, as we like to say. Uh, but he was very talented and he was supported by uh, the great uh, Russian composers like Yimsky Korsakov and uh, Glazunov, who actually helped him uh, edit uh, the, uh, and revise his uh, symphony. Um, but uh, Gordy was really, really loved because 
he was part of this group that decided that Russian music needed to be original and not just imitate Western uh, European music. It needed to have more folkloric elements. It needed to have more of the Russian, what makes a Russian sound, which most of the time means folkloric uh, sounds uh, um, and, and that sort. And he was very good at including that in his pieces. And you hear that always in, in his Colossian dances and his operas and the symphonies and the chamber music, um, which is why it makes it so popular because the tunes then are very humble. And the audience always loves to hear his music because they go home uh, listening to themselves his tunes, which is always very fun. Daniel, your passion for music is quite infectious, and I have goosebumps just thinking about the performance that, that is going to take place. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Um, if anybody would like to see Daniel Boyko uh, conduct, he will be at the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra as part of the, their World Symphony Series spring season. The season runs from the 23rd of October to the 15th of November and is happening at the Linda Auditorium. For more information or to book your seats, please visit the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra website. It sounds like an absolutely um, a season of magic. And, Daniel, thank you so much for joining me and kind of giving us insight into the world of music. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to seeing everyone at the concert. Thank you. That was Daniel Boyko, an Israeli-born, Hungarian-based conductor.